Hey everybody, thanks for jumping in on the second part of my interview with Phil Ortiz. Enjoy. Was there any activities or things that you did or processes that you went through? Like, for example, so what my wife did, which was really interesting, because a little bit of context for my story, which if you've listened to any of these podcasts, you've heard a little bit of it before. Um, we had to wait six months after our miscarriage before the doctor said we were allowed to try again. Um, I mean, yeah. we could have done it, but yeah. um, I remember the doctor telling me, like, you cannot get her pregnant. Yeah. You know, and it just this is like. Like so, we dealt with a lot of fear over that next six months. Mm. Screwed up our our love life mm. majorly because mm. you're terrified. I felt like being 16 again, except mm. you know you might kill somebody if yeah. you did it that way. So it was just like a little bit worse. Uh, not not Kristen, she was fine, but we we had this certain kind of miscarriage where they needed to make sure that all the material was out before we tried sure. again because there was a growth, a genetic growth issue going on there mm. that it would endanger the next pregnancy essentially. Mm -hmm. So we had to wait six months. So we didn't. A lot of people, part of the way they coped, I remember the first guy I interviewed, how'd you cope? He's like, well, we had another kid. We moved on. Um, and it was like, yeah, that can be part of it for some people is you can sit in it and you can stew in it or you can bury it the healthy way and, and try again. Yeah. You know. Um, but we weren't allotted that luxury. We couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. So we sat in it for a long time. So one of the things my wife did, which was really interesting, is she built a fort in our guest room. Mm. Uh, and she built, it was like her, I, I don't remember what she called it, but for me it was like her healing fort. Mm. But she literally just like got some chairs and got some blankets and she she made a little soft, safe space. And mm. she had her books in there, for her miscarriage books, and mm. she put up some lights and a candle mm. that she really enjoyed. And when she was feeling like shit, she went in there and alone, yeah. quiet, and she played music and she read her book. And she just, it, it connected to this place of feeling safe. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it was really interesting that she did that. So... What coping? A lot of these ideas manifest themselves through our community, and they give us ideas, and something resonates, and then we do it. And one of them was n naming our kids, and so we didn't yeah. name the twins until I think after ta uh, the. So we miscarried the twins, and then we miscarried our a single child. We didn't name the twins until after we had miscarried the sec the second miscarriage. Is that because you did? Did you name the? third baby first and then go that felt good we're gonna do the first two i think mean, we did it all at once all at once all okay. at once um and i had never heard that concept until rachel brought it up to me mm -hmm. and that was because she went to community and um we yeah we also named ours so um and then uh you know we made a little box for she made a little box for them and she, it's it's in our closet you know and um i think some of the uh she, she's got some other stuff in there that that signify those kids, but those are our kids, you know what I mean? Like they were, yeah, exactly. um, and so that was part of the coping thing. And part of the process was naming them. And so we sat down we thought about names and then, you know, we, we didn't know the sex. So we wanted to intentionally choose, um, what is it? Unisex names, gender, not unisex, gender neutral, gender neutral. That's yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, you could say unisex. I'm just not sure that applies. That's not, yeah, it's not a, that's not <laughs> yeah. applicable. Gender neutral names, Riley and Reese and Taylor. Mm. Um, and so, Man, after our second miscarriage of the single child, getting pregnant after that was like just stress level to the max. Because like, yeah, w and and during that time, it was like, what's what happened? We tried uh, once with Wes. It took two months, and we got Healthy and baby. and we had a baby, and he's perfect right here, right in front of us. So wh what went wrong? So we. We went through a process of going to doctors and asking, you know, hey, is there anything wrong? Like, 
um, and they couldn't find anything. So we're like, then what? What the heck is going on, man? Yeah. Um, and it was at some point I remember feeling frustration. It was like yeah. we have a healthy baby, we know it works. So why aren't these working? Right. You Did know? you ever get any answers from that? No. Like, usually there's not. There, there's not a lot of answers a lot of the times. <laughs> I think, I think in America we just have this sense that. Um, everything's supposed to go right every single time, mm -hmm. you know, and people in second and third world countries, they don't expect things to go right and perfectly the first time. Mm. And that's really how life is. Things don't go right. It's, it's really funny. It is the downfall of our obsession with the quote unquote American dream. Yeah, we expect things to be perfect. Yeah, we've painted a picture that doesn't have room for reality. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so that recentering of, of uh, you know, or recalibration, I think is a better way to describe it, a recalibration mm -hmm. of, um, you know, sometimes these things just happen. You know, but but going through that, I mean, it's easy for me to say it now, but going through that mm -hmm. is like, are we ever going to be able to have another child? Yeah, in that moment it feels... Unbelievably heavy, you know, and we've had friends that have been trying to have kids for like 10 years and they can't have kids mm -hmm. and so um, You know, we kind of gravitated towards them a little bit shared experience um, yeah. To a sense and then you it's, know, it's hard to relate to people that don't understand The miscarriage thing it, it really becomes one of those If you know, you know, and if you don't you just don't yeah, I mean and even that's even true on two different levels couple wise if you haven't had a miscarriage you don't know and then if you haven't actually had a child inside of you you don't know does that make mm -hmm. sense different mm -hmm. the different levels yeah, of there's connection different levels of um so um i don't remember where we were but all that to say yeah. um coping that that was we didn't go back and name our children until um until the second miscarriage yeah. and um Yeah, that's yeah. all I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. My next question was, what was the hardest part of being a husband during this experience? What were the unique difficulties you went through as a husband? I feel like you, you've addressed that. Is there anything else that? Um... No, just emphasizing that it was a very weird um, place to feel empathy for my wife. Sorry, sympathy for my wife on one level, the physical pain, but then f and feel sympathy for her. Um, for the emotional toll it's having on her, mm -hmm. and then um, feeling a disconnect about losing a, chi a child, mm -hmm. that was that was the hardest part. Is yeah. I don't know what to do, and I have a feeling that I think it's important to define that mm -hmm. for other guys because it's like you might we might not be able to parse that out in the moment. You know what I mean? And, and you might be if you're able to parse those different connections and disconnects out, mm -hmm. you might be able to react a little bit more differently or maybe compensate or, or just be a little bit, not compensate, but be a little bit more sensitive on in yeah. some areas that you know that there's a disconnect. So you don't come off as brash and disconnected. I get, I, I, yeah, I, I agree. And the other part of me also like wants to acknowledge the, the reality of like two people going through suffering. It's going to be hard to lean on each other. I mean, it's, 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 I feel like what happens in this process of miscarriage is, is two trees that without any support are going to fall down. They need to lean in mm -hmm. towards one another or mm -hmm. one of them is going to fall. Mm -hmm. But the misconception being that one's got to stay strong while the other one leans on it and this one doesn't have any problems. Exactly. It's really more of a balance of two two trees that are falling, leaning on each other right. um, and supporting that process of not hitting the floor right. versus being under the 
wrong misconception that one can stand up straight because if you put pressure on the other one eventually if that one doesn't lean in as well it's going to push them both over right which um i i i've talked to some guys that felt no straight up strong like no problem um i've had some people say that's great that's a gift from god like that's that's awesome i've I've had other people say guarantee that person's not dealing with something they need to deal with and i think time will tell you know which one's true for that person but i think both are possible i totally agree and i think that analogy of the leaning is perfect um uh, but I'm going to take it a degree further and maybe that um, some of Rachel's friends distinctly said, you know, Phil's not going to have the same emotional mm-hmm. reaction that you are. So if you try and go to him for that, you know, he'll be there, but you might need to talk to some other women about some of the other things to emotionally connect. And, you know, I don't know if validate is the right word, but just maybe connect if that's what you're looking for, if that's what you feel like you need. Because yeah. you, you might be... I mean, in, in no respect was I shut off from Rachel, but there might be some situations with certain topics and certain ways you relate with someone when you're going through tragedies. If there's a disconnect, it's just not fed and it's not reciprocated mm-hmm. um, because there's no understanding. And so, um, it is inter- it is interesting that you say that though, because it's it's funny when I when I look at the uh, like the analytics of of my podcast. Uh, I would say yes, true. I think, and that's why I'm doing a Men on Miscarriage podcast is because I think the same thing for guys is that guys need to talk to other guys. No, totally. Uh, but when I look at the the stats of who's listening to my podcast, you check that out, 76% female. So who seems most interested about what guys are going through? I'll check this out on, here on, on Facebook here. You guys can see, yeah, it's that 76% female are, are, are listening to the podcast. Wow. And only 23% male. Part of me goes, oh, man, I'm not hitting the audience I want to hit. And the other part of me goes, no, I'm, I'm hitting the percentage of guys I think are ready to talk about it, that are, that, that are ready to listen about it. And in general, I would say, as I've meditated more on it, because it's been pretty close to that from the beginning. It started wow. at like 50-50, and it's, it's rested around kind of one, one quarter to three quarters. Mm. I, think, I think women are searching for how to connect to their husbands on it because they don't know how. I've heard I've talked to so many girls that are like, my husband doesn't want to talk about it, or we don't talk about it much, or she doesn't know how to relate to him. And so I've noticed that that disconnect goes both ways. Yeah, it's not just guys don't get their wives. I think wives don't understand their husbands, or our partners don't understand the other partner. I I almost want to push guys to be a little bit more invested to looking into this. But I but I I think this is affirming of the the more often the women's willingness to talk about it. Uh, absolutely, I think that's their natural tendency. It, I, the one thing I've realized is with pregnancy is there are so many variables. It's impossible to plan what's going to happen, and then there are so many variables when something like this happens, with regard to personalities and prior experiences and mm-hmm. um, ability, uh, emotional well-being in that state, and there's so many variables. You're not going to know what to do until you're in it. And that's why I feel like I just want to stress the idea of community and having people get, lay it out, get a sounding board, and then you can determine the, best, the next course of action. Because if you're just trying to you know, shoot from the hip, you're going to end up shooting well, each other. It's, and It's funny because for us as verbal processors, that makes sense. But for somebody as an internal processor, it's like – if I have to get sounding yeah. board and lay out an audience before I move on, I'm never going to. Yeah. Like the first guy I interviewed, Jeremy Robinson, he said, for me, it would not have helped to talk a lot of people. What I needed was to be.
be by myself. I needed to be with the Lord and I needed to, I needed to find out who I am in this. He didn't say it exactly this way, but he needed to find out who he was and what his experience was and other people's input would have hurt that process for Interesting. him. And it's like, God, as a verbal processor and as an extrovert, I'm like, there's no way that's reality, but it, but it is. No, it, it makes is reality. It's, no, it it's makes just, I guess the the point and the the point that I wanted to stress is there's so many variables. Mm-hmm. And you're never gonna know. But like you said, your wife flipped. You and your wife. Both of flipped. us did. Both of us. did. Yeah, exactly. You and your wife flipped with regard to processing. Oh yeah. She, she was talking about it all the time and bringing it up, and it was like, who are you? But I, then I was the opposite. Yeah, and so it, making a plan, I think is. I get. I guess I think it's foolish, and you just maybe just maybe it's just being honest with where you're at, or just being willing to adjust. Like, not all plans, but like. Let it burn if it needs to. Figure out the next phase. Yeah, Move yeah. Forward. I and so I mean, and one of to be honest, one of my fears was I don't want my wife to be depressed, you know. And so that was a yeah. that was a big fear of mine. So that was probably one of the motivations for me pressing the group. Yeah. Go to the group. Go to the group. I don't want I don't want you to ignore these emotions. I don't want you to ignore. Go to the group. Go to because I don't want you to postpartum depression, suicide, all these different things like. That's a. Do you know real, if she like felt and sensed you didn't want her to be depressed? I don't know. I, should, I you'd have to ask her. I I haven't asked her that. That's yeah, a good, very good I, question I, for I'd our be, relationship. Well, I'd be curious to like. Yeah, my wife and I still talk about stuff that comes up later. You know, it's it's been almost almost a year now. So next week it'll be a year since mm. since the miscarriage. Mm. Um. But yeah, it's, it's interesting because it's funny if it, being a third-party person, you're like, I don't want her to be depressed. I don't want her to do that. And it could sound like I don't want her to go through pain. It could also sound like I don't want to give her space to heal. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know what I mean? It's, it was it's, heavy-handed. Whatever way it was yeah. interpreted, it was heavy-handed, and she let me know that. Mm. And um, and I think that was the most important thing. Yeah, this isn't helpful. Mm. And and I think maybe that needs to be said. Like, did she, did she say that to you? Like, yeah. this isn't helping. This isn't helping me. Mm. And um, oh. Okay. Good, clear communication. Yeah. yeah, just smack me in the back of the head. You don't have yeah. to parse words. So, um, so but, the variables. But then that's even hard because now, now she, it's it's fun. I talked about another thing about this. About and we'll talk about my next question is how, what you talked about with other people. What was that like? Friends, family, things like that. But um, it's like just tell me. Um, part of what we don't know we're doing is we're putting all the emotional weight onto the other person to fix the situation and to balance it. Like when we put other people in the decision-making chair, like mm. you're like, well, I just need someone to smack me over the head. Part of what, again, no, no judgment or anything, because this is part about me too, things that I did. Part of part of that statement is I need you to run this. Mm. I'm, I'm just going to respond to your leadership. Mm. So I know you're going through stuff. I know this is hard for you. But, hey, here's another responsibility in your responsibility belt that you need to carry. Otherwise, I'm not going to be available to you. That's interesting. Because it happened in a conversation with my brother, and we've, we've talked about it. And, and this doesn't apply to my – brother and i think it sometimes it doesn't have to apply in the marriage either but both people are going through the pain in this instance my brother's not going through the pain of this but he had said several times like hey like just tell me when i'm doing something wrong will you tell me if i say something stupid i know people say dumb stuff i know people don't get it i know people can be really rude please tell me because i don't want to do that Mm -hmm. um and he had said enough times i just was like tyler dude like just just so you know like i understand that and i will do it for you because i love you and you're my only brother and of course i'm going to do that for you but what you're asking me to do is carry the emotional weight of having to correct you when it's not appropriate. Sometimes it's easier to just ignore what you said and give you the benefit of the doubt than to have to go, hey, that was incorrect and here's why. Because I would love it if there was a perfect world where I could just correct you on all the things that you said. But honestly, over the past 15 minutes, I'd need another 20 just to explain <laughs> some of the things you said and why they're offensive. 
but who's going to lead that conversation? I am. Who's mm-hmm. going to carry the emotional weight of confronting somebody that I love, that I know loves me? I am. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, mm-hmm. please don't put the weight on me to have to lead that. That that suggestion was instead, can you do some homework? Can you go look into right. this? Can you maybe do some Google searches to like try to figure that out? I I said this in another interview, but like I don't want to be teacher of the world. I don't want to have to represent all miscarriage to everybody in my close family. So that's one side of it. And the other side of it is I do because there aren't people in my family on that side that have experienced that. Mm. So I am the one. And so I have to come to terms with that on some level. But I advocating for myself with people that are close to me to be like, please don't put the emotional weight on me to have to make those decisions and do all that. Like be okay with making a mistake. Don't try to make me make sure it's all perfect because I already have enough that I'm carrying. Yeah, and I I want to make some distinctions because – I think there's a difference between being needy and being um, uh, seeking to uh, have people help you with your blind spots. Mm. Does that make sense? We'll explain it. So um, I, I, I get it. But it yeah. yeah, if someone's emotionally needy and they're like, "What did I do wrong? What did I do? What did I do wrong? Tell me what I did wrong." Mm. Um, yeah, that is a ex- extremely emotionally taxing. Um, but in a in a uh, in a in a healthy I think relationship, um, if you just leave yourself open to, and it's and that's why I've said um, I phrase it this way with regard to finding out my blind spots, um, you have authority to call me out at any point if you see something amiss. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So in my political career, I have told a handful of people um, older than me who have been around the block a lot longer than I have, um, if you see me acting awry or something's out of place with my the way, uh, with my character, the way, what, what I should be upholding, then you have authority to tell me. Tell me. Don't feel like you can't come speak to me. And so um, I think there's a, there's a difference in that. And so with regard to the miscarriage, I'm starting with at the point of zero knowledge. I'm, I'm the baseline. I'm, I might even be negative knowledge of w- what a miscarriage is and all the terminology and what my wife goes through. And so, um, part of your research, like you said, is me going to my community who has gone through it, talking to them, asking them questions. Um, I never really read books, maybe listened to a couple podcasts on it, um, or interviews or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, but informing myself, but then at the same time saying, I know I'm going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I know I'm going to trip up. Um, the and that's all out of the intention of, uh, I'll use this quote: Oscar Wilde defined a gentleman as never unintentionally offending someone. <laughs> and I thought that was an interesting concept to never unintentionally offend someone. That's a definition. He defined that's a definition of a gentleman. It means that you have done your homework, like you're mm-hmm. saying, and you have left yourself open to correction in your youth um, and, and, and transparent and open and honest um, so that uh, um, when you come into manhood to become a gentleman, you are completely and wholly equipped and aware of as many variables that could happen in this realm of possibility mm. that that uh, you can read a room and you can read people's emotions and understand where they're coming from and you're insightful and you're and you're uh, there's care in your words and um, that doesn't happen un- that doesn't happen passively that has to happen intentionally there's mm-hmm. work behind that um, and so I think that the, the, the totality of getting there is 
a combination of all these mm-hmm. things we're discussing. Yeah, so. absolutely. I, it, it's funny how there's not one clear answer when it comes to grief, when it comes to suffering, when it comes to pain. It's it's not necessarily because there's no algorithm because the uh, um, the variables are different. Like you said, the variables have changed. And we're so humans. You, you can't take one in. Like in math, you've got like a Pythagorean theorem. There's no Pythagorean theorem for this. No. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. So what was it like talking to people who didn't necessarily understand the variables, like family, friends? You, you mentioned your community group, and they were great. But outside of that, what was it like engaging with the world outside of you guys? To be honest, the miscarriage conversation really didn't happen outside of uh, those people that had um, – it only happened with people that ha- had miscarriages. And when we do say that we mm-hmm. had miscarriages – it was a two-second conversation. It was a, yeah, we ended up losing. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Anyways, how about them Padres? Yeah. You know, and Quick so. to move on. Yeah, and. Which uh, is usually done out of the out of a a, 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 a genuine place. Like. Yeah, well, it's just, uh, they don't know. They, yeah. I don't know what to say about this. You know, I'm sorry. I'm I supposed really, to help this person not think about it. But I'm unequipped, you know. Yeah. And so I think what we were talking about before, I was hoping to get to, is the sterilization that we have in Yeah, in you can talk States. about it now. Is because, you know, Rach and I always go back to the frontiersman <laughs> days in the 1700s, 1800s, where, you know, life was survival day to day. And if you didn't plan, then you died and you experienced life to the fullest. And only up until this recent, you know, uh, 20, 50 years has life really been sterilized. Where, mm. if, you, like you said earlier, when your grandmother dies, the grandmother lived in the home with you and you saw life deteriorate and mm-hmm. you see her gargle and choke and die on her last breath. It's very graphic and it's very in your face and you can't hide it. It's happening in your, in your room. And then, you know, your, your, your mother and father had to bury and it's a process and we don't have that anymore. When mm-hmm. our, when our elderly die, we stick them in an old, old folks home with, cnas and rns and we let them take care of it and we don't see the process of death and then um when we do uh the the if it's an open casket there's makeup and there's embalming and it's almost like Mm. does that make sense it's Mm -hmm. just yeah i get what you're saying um there's preparation there's there's to make it look sterile to make it look sterilized yeah yeah. you know and there's not we've we've absolved ourselves so cooking our food we don't slaughter chickens or pigs we don't have to kill the animal we it's packaged perfectly yeah violent video games everything it's it's, everything is everything is sterilized in the united states and so i think this is just another degree of that in miscarriages um it's because of the sterilization people don't know how to handle death people don't know how to it's not a normal course and part of life it's such a weird offshoot that no one talks about so that's I feel one of the reasons why it's been suppressed and not talked about. It's a taboo to talk about, and people don't know how to how to deal with it. Whereas before, it's like man, one out of four people. It's like what? Like, well, yeah, that's life. So um, I always find a way to bring comics, comic books, in, into all this stuff. But it's it's. I like, saw your mind turn. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's why I love like um, uh, Captain America: Civil War. Okay. That's why I love that movie because what's happening in that context too, it's 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 kind of a commentary on on sterilization, you know, because you, you have all these Marvel movies of just like, oh yeah, they really kill all they beat the bad guys, they did all this good stuff. And what happens have you seen the movie? Yeah. So what happens in that movie is uh these guys are now they're 
all they're focused on, these heroes, all they're focused on is the good that they've done, but they completely disregard oh, the, destruction. the destruction that they've mm-hmm. caused along the way. And people have fairly questioned, um, like, if it's if it's worth it, like some things. And in their mind, they're like, we saved the world. But in these other people's minds who didn't have context of what they were doing, what they were going through, goes, yeah, but you destroyed mine in the process. Mm. And they're like, yeah, but we saved the world. But it's like, but for this person, it was bad either way. All they know is you caused their version of it, mm. not the other person or whatever it was. And you could say, oh, well, that person intended for all this other stuff. It's like, well, yeah, but regardless, like you lock this person into tragedy. Mm. Um, and so it's they had become sterilized, you know, and in that movie, it's interesting. They, they play it as like one side, one side, good side, bad side, that there's, there's two sides of it. Mm. But essentially what like Captain America and his team didn't want was accountability. Mm. They didn't want to have to answer for it mm. because they always make the right choices. Mm. And that starts an arc of Captain America kind of losing his purity. Mm. You know, you see in the movies, the elements that make, he's my favorite character. I got a painting of him. So I'm not, I'm not talking crap on him. It, to me, it's, it's a development of him as a character where he starts to lose the facade Mm. that he is the perfect Captain America. He starts to acknowledge that he has flaws. He starts to acknowledge that sometimes he works on the opposite side of the law. Like he's not perfect yes sir boy anymore. He becomes something different. Mm. Um, And it's interesting how when you challenge this facade, when you challenge this sterilization, Mm. uh, you come up against a a culture that has made up its mind. It's like you challenge the Mm. American dream, Mm. you know, or – uh, you, you challenge any of the norms that we look at in society, especially in America, westernized, mm. Americanized, uh, uh, the wasp thing, whatever. I'd say mm. like I am one. You know what I mean? All these right. different things. It's right. like I, I careful a little bit. You're probably less am than I am, Mr. Ortiz. <laughs> um, but it's so funny that like we have a hard time talking about that. Mm. And when you challenge it, it feels like you're challenging something so much bigger. Because we don't talk about miscarriage, right? Like this is a case in point. It doesn't feel like we're challenging. It is challenge. It, it, it's it doesn't feel bigger. It is bigger, mm. and the it, that's just the the way our culture has progressed, mm. making it our life is easy, and because it's easy, or it's it's sterilized, and therefore it's easy. And then when hard things come, we don't know how to deal. We don't know how to deal with it, and um. So that's when when I talk to people who haven't gone through miscarriage, it's evidence of that culture, because they don't. It's a two second conversation. I'm sorry to hear about that. There's no depth. There's no understanding. There's no relation to death and life. Yeah. Because everything's been sterilized, and that's why it's so devastating. That's why we were talking about before. Is, I, um, I've I've seen death before. I've experienced it. You know, school shooting. My best friend. My godfather. You know, all these things. Um. So when death was brought to me in the form of a miscarriage um it wasn't as a devastating blow as it could be to other people who hadn't felt it um before so i i, I had i had experienced death and i think if people had experienced death mm-hmm. from a young age seeing their grandparents actually die and help dig the hole maybe the emotional impact isn't going to be as as detrimental yeah so so looking at some of that evidence um, and interacting with the world, did anyone do or say anything? You said you mentioned somebody gave you some advice that helped you kind of center yourself a little bit. Um, did anyone else say or do anything that was because p- different people listen to, listen to this podcast? I know for a fact some people who've never gone through miscarriage have, have just taken an interest in this subject and mm. have listened in. Mm. Um, I, I know parents that have listened to this who have had children who have had a miscarriage. Um, um, I, I know people who have no relation to it. It's just interesting. So like it's across the board. 
Um, and so I think it's interesting for people to listen to what people who have gone through mixed carriage have noticed and what stood out to them. Is there anything that stood out to you in your reactions with others that were helpful or hurtful or interesting that might be helpful for other people listening to go, oh, I just I wouldn't have thought that not knowing. I the the like I said, the biggest thing that stuck out to me was when I called one of my older, uh, I guess you call him a mentor. And he said he he's a psychologist. He's a he's a doctor. And he said, don't you dare think. Like I said before, don't you dare think that you know what she's going through. Mm. Um, you don't know, and you'll never know. And I think not knocking you down a peg, but r getting an honest look of where I'm at. Mm. Where are where where are you really? Do you, because you can puff yourself up and think that you know what they're that they're going through, but you'll never know. Mm. And to be honest, no one knows. She, my wife didn't even know what she was going to go through. Yeah. She's she's discovering it as she goes. So how could I know? Yeah. Um, and don't try and fix it. Yeah. And don't 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 you dare try and fix it. Because if you try and fix it, you're just gonna screw it up. Yeah. And and so those were the. I think, I think I needed to hear that. Maybe some other people need to hear that. Is, and it kind of relieves some pressure to be honest too. It's like, mm -hmm. hey, this is a journey to go through together. You guys are gonna figure it out as you go because you yeah. don't know all the information. Yeah. And it's gonna be revealed as you go. Yeah, the best advice we got was from uh, our our family therapist. Um, my wife and I have been seeing for almost a decade now, and um, what she said is, "Whatever you go through, go through it together." Mm. That's it. Mm. She's like, "Wherever you go, however you handle it, handle it together yep. as a unit. Yep. Be with her, be on her. Yep. Um, don't you don't don't have different. You can have different experiences, but don't be in different places." Yeah. So so that was really helpful. Um, I appreciate that a lot, just because. And that's those blind spots that we were talking about before is you don't know what you don't know and you have to seek it out and you have to inform yourself. And if you don't, then you're going to end up hurting your, hurting your spouse or hurting yourself or hurting yeah. others around you. So what was the biggest thing you felt like nobody knew about the miscarriage or just about your experience? Like, was there anything that like maybe in hindsight you look back and you're like, I don't think anybody knew. I don't think anybody knew how uh, unemotional I was about the loss of my child. What do you mean they didn't know how unemotional you were? I, I mean, I just like it wasn't obvious to them, or you didn't. Yeah, I mean, well, I think, I think maybe my recognition is the the men that I've talked to that have lost a child, it was very emotional, but they were connected with it, and I still felt this kind of disconnection um, from from that experience where I wasn't. My emotion was more was not as my level of emotion wasn't as high as other men that I had talked to. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. um, and I, maybe that's something they didn't know. Maybe that's something that was surprising to me. And what we talked about before is: Do I need to conjure up emotions about losing uh, a child? Um, of course, the answer is no. Yeah. Um, but um, you know that, that it kind of felt like I, you know, to some degree, I'm part of this, but it's not really a big defining. Yeah moment in my life whereas other people it's like this is the defining moment of their life you yeah. know one of the big one of the big things so well, it's interesting some of it some of it not to be crude but some of it probably kind of felt par for the course and some of the things you've experienced yeah. in your life well and that's what i'm saying is with the whole sterilization process is, is you're not going to have these highs and lows um with these uh with these devastating events yeah. if, if you experience these if you experience life the way the that's, that's the way so that it interesting. is interesting yeah because some somebody might look at your situation and the fact that you were unemotional about it and say, oh, these other things must have sterilized you. But what you're saying is, no, that's the opposite. I became mm -hmm. unsterilized. And so pain, suffering, loss, 
didn't get my feelings of those things didn't weaken, but they were normalized in a way that they didn't knock me off of mm -hmm. the track that I was on. Mm -hmm. It was I kind of expected hard things to happen, and when they came. I, I, it wasn't as surprising. The shock value was not as strong for me. It's an illusion huh. that we have in the United States that everything's supposed to go right. And I was disillusioned from an early age to tragedy. Mm. And because of that disillusionment, I'm able to move forward. There, there was no fall from reality. Um, so I've even had uh, psychologists talking to veterans about this kind of concept where you go to, they go to war – and they expect everything to go well. And they're going to come home, and then, um, or uh, and then, uh, and all their buddies are going to come home, you know. And then all of a sudden, their buddies die, and it's this huge like, wait a minute, you know, we're the tip of the spear. We're, you know, there's this illusion that not everything's going to go great. We're going to execute the mission, and then they come home, and that illusion is shattered. Their mm -hmm. friends die, and then there's this huge deep depression, this PTSD. Yeah, that happens, which is prevalent. Well, I'm gonna come so home, and everybody's gonna acknowledge my sacrifice and and know me, and you just come back and you're a normal person. Exactly. So it's it, it happens in there's so many different areas in our culture, in Amer you know, in American culture, where yeah. we expect everything to go perfect, and it doesn't, and then there's this huge mental breakdown yeah. from it. Couple couple more questions. Uh, how are you doing on time? You good? I'm good. Man. Okay. Yeah. Was there anything that you personally? regret about those experiences or anything you wish you had done differently and I, and I preface that with I say regret and a lot of guys kind of they they puff their chest for a second and go no regrets <laughs> no fear no regrets <laughs> so what I mean when I ask that not like not that you do carry any dead dog around with you but like is there anything that you just going back you go, yeah you know what if I know I can't change it but given the opportunity perfect situation I think I, I would have if I had the information I have now I think because here's the deal you can't go back and change it but there are guys who just went through this. Like I know that – I mean this is going to be on the internet for forever. Some guy's going to listen to this interview. It just happened. Yeah. And it might bless him. It might encourage him or give him wisdom to know now something that somebody like a forebear w would have done differently given given the hindsight knowledge that you just don't have the luxury of having in the moment. Yeah, I mean to be honest, equipping yourself. I think the type of man that's – that 25% of the men that are listening to this are already in the position to be successful. Hmm. Because they're why they're, is that they're seeking it out. Okay. They're already seeking it out. Like everyone always, when you, when you have your first child, every um, the uh, the the lines that I always hear is, I don't know if I'm going to be a good parent. I don't know if I'm going to be a good parent. I'm reading all these books to try and be a good parent. You know, I'm reading this. I'm reading this. Yeah. Do I use this methodology or that methodology? And the the old wise sage goes, Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! You're going to be a good parent just based off of the fact that you're thinking about these things and you're reading the books and you're and you're informing yourself. Yeah. Um, so it is with these 25% of men that are listening to this. Um, and so, uh, I guess it would be those 25% of the men that are listening to this, be on the lookout to, uh, find the people that aren't seeking out these things and help equip them. Mm. That's, that's the baton toss that needs to happen. You already have the baton. You got the mm -hmm. information. You're equipping yourself. You have the right mindset. If you, but look for the men that don't have that yeah. and help them. And um, you're, the other piece of advice was people, you're going to, you might think some things that your wife does is silly initially, but don't you dare um, mm. treat it that way. Like uh, the fort. Mm -hmm. You know, that might seem, but no, that is deep and it's yeah, what good. she needs and so it's good, good and it's healthy. And, mm -hmm. um, and I mean, 
uh, it's not like she, uh, um, you know, it's not or my wife with the box that she made mm-hmm. and name and naming the kids. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like she, it's not like she's sleeping with the box next to her every day mm-hmm. crying. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah. that's a, or even if she is. Right, <laughs> you know, I think that's the point. Yeah, right? yeah, it's it's a it's a process. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I mean, like se- seven years later, still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. Um, but it's for well, guys extrapolate. Which it's is for funny. yeah, it's for a season, you know. And so, and so, um, I guess that's how I'd answer the question: is you don't know how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Go through it together, like you said, and then, um, and uh, and and be. Be honest with where you're at. I mean, I, I don't don't have any illusions of I'm equipped to handle this because you don't know what's coming at you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Uh, my my next question is, um, what did what did you need the most in the moments where you did need something uh, that you couldn't or didn't get? I mean, I don't think that there was a moment that I was not in need. And I think it's because of I, I we've spent time building that community around us. So in times of crisis, there was really nothing. I mean, I had a mentor who's a psychologist. I had friends who had gone through it, mm-hmm. who we had built their relationship, and we had um, already talked about revealing things in our lives mm-hmm. prior to this. So it was just another topic on the docket to discuss. Mm-hmm. Um and so, I mean, I was blessed to n- not have any, not have any. I mean, the only, the only thing that I'll mention is um, what I talked about before is being graphic about what that looks like passing the, ch- passing your dead child. Yeah. I mean, um, oh, this is my wife calling right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, passing my dead, pa- the 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 hospital. I don't think, and the doctor didn't do a good job at all. Yeah. Giving us a realistic depiction of what that looks like. Yeah. And it was surprising to Rachel. We had, we discussed this in length. Why didn't they tell us that it's going to be a bloody mess and this and that? And yeah. think we were somewhat equipped because we had a baby and we know how messy right. it was. But people who miscarry the first time without having a baby, that's going to be emotionally crazy yeah. for them. So, yeah. 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 So my last question for you real quick, and then, yeah. and then you got to run. Yeah. Is um, what would you want your wife or one day your kids might listen to this interview? Yeah. Um, what would you want them to know about you in this? I tried my best to be honest. Mm-hmm. I tried my I, I my my goal in all this was trying to be honest with myself. And um, if I if I think if you could start from that point, then you're going to be successful. If you're if you have a very realistic. Uh, uh, evaluation of who you are because um, if you don't then you're gonna you're 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 going to fail mm. if you're not honest with not just honest with yourself but honest with where you really are there's a difference of being in your own head and being honest about who you are but there's a different but then there's a there's another level of knowing if you're being honest with yourself with the world around you and having people say no phil you're not you know all that in the bag of chips. Mm. You're over here, you know, the two dollar sandwich with a stale moldy bread, mm. and you need to get here. You know what I mean? Not self-deprecating, but just realistic. Realistic. So that you can understand how that we're realistic. Real. Exactly. 
Bill, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. I appreciate your your candor and just the the depths you were willing to go with it, brother. I I think a lot of guys are going to get blessed with hearing your story, and especially some guys that are trying to figure out how they process and and be a great dad and a great husband in this. That's stuff that we didn't really get into is what it's like being a dad in the midst of all that stuff. It's it's super hard, but these conversations are never over. So, yeah. Yeah. Thanks again for being here, brother. I I hope you have a great swearing in later. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And Mr. Uh, Council Member. we might need to uh, get another podcast about the uh, arc of uh, Captain America. Yeah. No. <laughs> because I have some really big opinions on that. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, we for sure should. All right, brother. Hey, thanks so thanks much for being us. on here. Thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch you next time. Appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening through my interview with Phil Ortiz. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you thought it was as interesting as I did. If you are a man and you've gone through miscarriage and you want to share your story like Phil has, please reach out. We would love to capture your story and share it with people who it might bless. Uh, other than that, uh, you'll see a couple more episodes come out before this thing is over. I really appreciate all of you that are coming in to listen in. And please, these episodes will be up for a while. Please share them with anybody you think they might bless. Uh, or, or for anybody that you think might resonate with this. So thanks again for listening and uh, we'll see you on the next one.